And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what, man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and infertility. We're a weekly radio show podcast. And to make sure you automatically hear about each episode, you can sign up for our RSS feed, either at iTunes or the radio page of our site or any way that you are listening to this podcast right now. There will be a subscribe button. And the subscribe button, if you click it, will uh, automatically let you know when new episodes are, are issued. Today's show will be on adoption subsidies when adopting from foster care. I should also say adoption subsidies and benefits when adopting from foster care. I'm Dawn Davenport. I'm the director of Creating a Family. We're a nonprofit providing education and support for both adoption and infertility. You can find us online at creatingafamily.org. The Creating a Family radio show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. Fighting cancer doesn't have to mean a loss of your fertility. If you or a loved one are facing cancer, you may be eligible for no-cost medication through the Faring Heartbeat Program. Um, This is something that you would need to uh, get more information about through your oncologist or if you are already seeing an infertility doctor uh, by going to the infertility doctor. You can find it online at heartbeatprogram.com. If you enjoy our show, This show or any other show and you want to help us grow, please rate this podcast on iTunes. If you have iTunes on your computer or your phone, you just type in the name Creating a Family and then you can rate it by their star rating. Or if you've got an extra minute, you can both rate it and leave a comment and we would very much appreciate the time it would take to do that. I blog on topics of interest to those involved with either adoption or infertility three times a week. You might enjoy my blog yesterday, which was titled Trayvon Martin, President Obama, and Transracial Adoption. We're having a good discussion in the comments section, and we would love to have you join us. You can find it at creatingafamily.org slash blog. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support of our gold sponsors, including... Children's Connections, they are an adoption agency with offices throughout Texas providing domestic infant adoption, embryo donation adoption. They also facilitate adoptions from foster care. They provide home studies and post-adoption support to families throughout the United States. We also have Independent Adoption Center, whose mission is to provide open adoption placements and counseling to birth and adoptive families. They work with families in 49 states and are fully licensed in California, Indiana, Georgia, North Carolina, Texas, Connecticut, and New York. As you just heard, Creating a Family is a nonprofit, and one of the ways we pay our bills is through our wonderful sponsors who believe in our mission of bringing you unbiased, accurate information and then supporting you on whatever your path is to achieving parenthood. One way you can help us is by supporting those who support us. You just heard about a few of our gold sponsors, but we do have other sponsors as well. So if you are looking for an adoption agency, an adoption attorney, uh, an adoption therapist, or uh, any host of things that you might be looking for along your adoption journey, please make your first stop the Creating a Family databases, which you can find on our service provider page. You can search by location, services provided, number of years in operation, humanitarian aid, just a lot of things that we think are important. And when you choose to use these databases, you support those who support us, and we thank you. On today's Creating a Family show, we'll be talking about what subsidies and benefits are available for foster care adoption. Our guests are Josh Kroll. He is the project coordinator with the Adoption Subsidy Resource Center at the North American Council on Adoptable Children. We also have Julie Mondrowski. She is the assistant manager and oversees the Clark County, Nevada, Adoption Subsidy Program. We also have Judith Ninekirk. She is the program assistant at the Adoption Subsidy Program at the Clark County, Nevada uh, uh, 
system. Uh, and Clark County, for those who are wondering, is uh, where the city of Las Vegas is located. Welcome, Josh. Bo- Let me say that again. There's too many J's here. Welcome, Josh, Judith, and Julie to Creating a Family. Thank, Thank you. you. Good morning. Yeah, okay. All right, Josh, I'd like to start with you. We received a question from Courtney. She says, hi, Dawn. My husband and I are just starting our foster care adoption journey. We were told some children could be eligible for medical coverage through the state after adoption, but that was all we were informed of. Uh, Are there other subsidies out there that we could be eligible for, and where do we find them? Thanks. Okay. So what do you think, Um, Josh? Well, uh, every state has an adoption assistance program, and so – Children will either be eligible for the adoption assistance or adoption subsidy program. States use different language, um, and it's going to be based on the child or sibling group if it's a sibling. And typically the benefits can include um, a monthly payment, um, and it can include the Medicaid. Um, Usually it comes with if they get the monthly payment, and then also um, reimbursement of non-recurring adoption expenses. Um, there may also be additional um, specific services that may or may not be available. And by right, and by, by non-reoccurring adoption expenses, do you mean things like home study? What else would be included in there? Uh, attorney fees, um, if they have to travel to visit the child, um, you know, if, if you know, like our friends here from Clark County, if they had a family up in uh, Reno and they were coming down and doing pre-placement visits and they had to, you know, drive down or fly down and, and, you know, get a hotel room, those things could be reimbursed also. It wouldn't be things like... It it wouldn't be things like um, getting another bed if you're adopting a sibling group, um, things like that. It would be towards the process of adoption. Gosh, including the home study if if there's a cost associated with it. Correct. Okay. now, let me, and, and I realize that, Julie, you know specifically what's happening in Nevada, but and you could address the, the issue of what other type of benefits, uh, other than monetary subsidies and Medicaid, which are the two that were just mentioned by, uh, by Josh, what other type of benefits might be available for some families, both in Nevada and, if you happen to know, just kind of generally in other states? Uh, I know there's a great deal of diversity amongst the states. Yes, there is. Um, We basically, uh, Social Security benefits are available for adoptive families as well as adoption subsidies. We work together with the family to ensure they have that benefit plus uh, whatever they need, whatever the deficiency is, and they need that, the benefits that way. We also have uh, support systems in place here in Clark County where uh, we will guide the family when they are adopting and when they're negotiating their subsidy and provide them referrals to uh, different agencies depending on the needs of the child. A lot of states uh, have support services in place, and we're working on that right now. What about college tuition? We often hear that there are some states that provide uh, free college tuition for children who were and they have, if they attend a state school and if they were adopted from foster care, um, uh, Judith, have you? Uh, is that something that Nevada has? And if, but have you heard? If not, have you heard about it in other states? Yes, I'm unfamiliar with that as it relates to Nevada. However, if a child is in foster care for a certain period of time until they reach, I believe it might be age 14, then they may be um, qualify for different scholarships. However, we do have in town the CASA program, which is the Court-Appointed Special Advocate Program, and they do sometimes uh, give scholarships and help with college funding. Josh, just and like I, if you could speak Nash. Oh, go ahead. Uh, Julie, what were you going to say? Yes, and I could add to that. Nevada has an um, ETV fund. It's an educational fund for uh, foster children here and they qualify for that. They're working through the Chafee program and the FAFI program we ha- have in Nevada for the foster children in care. So. And, and, Josh, can you ad- address it more on a national basis then? Um, do you happen to know what yep. percentage of states offer uh, college tuition? I don't know the exact percentage. Um, we do list it on our website, um, the states that do have that. It's www.nacac.org. 
mm-hmm. off the top of my head, Texas, Florida, Kentucky, Virginia, Maryland, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and I think there might be a couple more, but those ones for sure. Um, and as as um, as Judith said, or Julie said, I can't remember which one, um, all states um, have the education and training vouchers. That's independent living funds, and that's available for kids um, who are adopted after their 16th birthday. It can't be on Sweet 16, but it can be um, after it, um, as well as kids who um, hopefully don't age out of the system. It is also available to them. Um, the other program that's available federally for all kids adopted from foster care. Any child adopted at 13 or older can apply for a FAFSA, uh, free application of federal student aid, um, as an independent student. So they don't have to put down family income uh, on that form um, if, they're, if they exit the foster care system at 13 or older. Um, I wanted to go back and touch base, Julie, with something you said about Social Security benefits. How does that work, and how is that um, related to uh, adoption subsidies? Let's say a family is adopting a sibling group of a six and an eight year old. Uh, how would Social Security benefits factor in? How, what benefits would those children be eligible for? Well, what would happen is the family would go down to the Social Security office, and that office would determine the eligibility and the, the monetary amount awarded to the family based on the child's medical needs or um, behavioral needs. And then what would happen is we would take that amount that they've been awarded, and usually they, they provide that to us. This has all been when we negotiate subsidies. And then we work with the family to ensure the child has the financial need, their financial needs are met. So let's say the amount was 400. Well, our foster care rate is 682. If they needed, if we needed to make up the difference, we would support the family in that way. Okay, got it. All right, so that's how. So that's and, usually a part of the negotiation that goes on. Um, this is, all uh, right, Josh. I do. There, yeah, wait, this please, Josh. Please. I do want to say one thing. Um, if it's based on the child's medical needs, it's SSI, and they will reduce the SSI amount based on what is received in adoption subsidy. Um, so it's a little it's a little more complicated. If it's Social Security benefits, a dependent benefit off of a birth or adoptive parent, um, that um, doesn't require a reduction. And that's where you're probably more likely to see a scenario um, like they describe, where it's a, ma- a, a match of both the state subsidy or county subsidy and and the um, um, and the Social Security benefits. But it's a little more complicated if it's SSI, which is based on the child being disabled. Okay, so if the child, I mean, many of these children are not going to have Social Security benefits based on their birth families. So it it would be, uh, so when we're talking about SSI, which is if we look at the child and say this child has a medical or behavioral need, then uh, how, how is it negotiated between the SSI benefits and the adoption assistance. I think I may have misunderstood. Josh, were you saying that the SSI benefits will take into account what the adoption subsidy is and then and then adjust the SSI accordingly? Or is, does it go the other way, that the adoption benefit is is reduced uh, depending upon what the SSI is? I'm, I'm curious what Clark County's experience has been on it because my understanding based on how written policy is, is that the SSI gets reduced dollar for dollar. So I'm not okay. sure what their experience has been. <laughs> That's why yeah, Julie, I, I uh, – Yeah, Julie, can you or, or Judith, either one, can you address yeah. how, how is that negoti- how is that handled in, the, in Nevada? Yeah, when we negotiate a subsidy, we take into account if they are eligible for, like, the SSI – and that typically comes to the department in the foster care payment, and that's how that's paid. So when we negotiate the subsidy, we just negotiate it as we would any subsidy to see what their needs are. However, if the Social Security um, income is higher, yes, that takes precedence over our subsidy. So we, if it's 400 that they're going to get from SSI and we've negotiated up to 600, then the department would pay the 200. All right, this, that leads to a, a question we got from Carol. She said, we are currently fostering two children, it looks like, 
parental rights will be terminated. We are thinking about adopting them, but we want to know if the adoption subsidy is usually the same as the foster care payment. I don't want to ask our so, our caseworker until I have an idea of what is fair. Uh, and here's a, I'm going to hold her second question off for just she has two questions. Um, but and we'll address her second one in just a second. Um, so uh, let, I think that was uh, Judith who spoke. When we, when you are, uh, you're paying. You said six hundred some odd dollars is paid per child uh, for fo- to foster parents. Now, when a parent, when the adoptive parents come in, is it usual that the adoption subsidy would be the same as the foster care payment? No, not necessarily, and that's a good question because I did research on the um, subsidy programs across the country. So states really vary in that. Some of the states do give that foster care rate. Some do maybe 20% of that rate for the adoption subsidy. Um, you know, it's individualized per state. What we do here in Nevada is we, that's our cap. We can only go up to the foster care rate. And I believe that's also across states, so they can only go up to the foster care rate. But so we really start at a zero amount, and then we sit down with them and collaborate with the family, and we come up with an amount that uh, meets their needs. But it doesn't go necessarily right to that foster care rate. So it's not the same. And, Josh, again, I'll turn to you to see if you have a feel for how uh, um, Judith's point is that it's handled quite differently, and it sounds pretty dramatically differently from the sense of some states give the full foster care rate, Others, according to what she was saying, were 20% of that rate. Um, what do you see across the U.S.? It's all over the place. It, it really depends upon the state, and in some states it depends upon the county. So um, there are quite a few states that regularly offer the exact same rate, um, and there are others that negotiate the rate. Um, many of them, like Clark County, start at zero, and then they negotiate up to the, the maximum. And States could provide more than the the foster care rate, but none of them do that because they can't get federal reimbursement. So um, I don't know of any state that's offering more than the foster care rate. Um, does it, the, the the questioner did they say which state they adopted or they're fostering and looking to adopt? No, they from? did not. Mm-mm. Okay. Uh, somebody said, no, no, that was not, we have a question for somebody else and I cut it out, but no, they did not. Okay. Okay. I mean, cause that's something that I typically know, don't always know, but typically know and feel that family can feel free to contact us, um, at NACAC, um, our number is either 651-644-3036 or 800-470-6665. Um, okay. and I'll have you give that, that talk about. again. I'll have you give that again, that number. So if you didn't get it down, don't worry, everybody. We're going to be repeating that at the end of the show. Um, uh, The one other thing I would say is that um, when it comes to negotiation, um, some states have taken the stance that the the amount that's negotiated should be based solely on the out-of-pocket expenses that – the family incurs to meet the special needs of the children. Federal law says needs, doesn't specify special or ordinary needs. Federal policy, which most states mimic, um, it's easier just copy something that they have to follow anyways, say ordinary and special needs. And I think based on conversations I've had with um, the folks there at Clark County, I think they are doing a very fair job with how they approach it, looking at both the ordinary and special needs of the, I'm, I'm of glad the child you raised and the family. Because yeah. I want to talk about what is, uh, how, do we, how do we know what is, we think of it in terms of a child's special needs. And I think we, we can, uh, for the most part, we've got a question coming up on special needs, but for the most part we, we could come to a, a relatively uh, universal agreement on, on uh, maybe not degree, but what special needs is. What is considered an ordinary need that would be uh, subject to receiving a subsidy? Um, Let me ask that to Julie. Some of the ordinary needs that that we take a look and we work with parents would be uh, if the child had uh, special hair care they needed, we'll take that into consideration. 
Uh, we'll also, you know, if they have, if they need, if they've been recommended to have play a sport by their, you know, by their doctor or therapist, that'll be put into the the, the negotiation. And um, what else can you think of? Yeah, and actually, I'm not really clear on what you're asking because we have the special needs, which most of the children in foster care qualify for because they've been drug exposed or they're over five, they're part of a sibling group, there's different um, categories that qualify them as that. Then we have like extraordinary needs, which puts them above the 682.94, so they can actually negotiate up to additional 500, I believe, and that's based on medical conditions that would not be covered by Medicaid. So I'm sorry, is that what you're asking about? Those kind of needs that are above the regular foster care rate? Well, just a second. What type of medical conditions well, are not covered by Medicaid? Just a second. Let me get that one out, and then I'll come back oh. to your question. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, that's, most of them are. So that's where to, we – Yeah, what would, what yeah. wouldn't be covered? It's very rare. I've had a case where there was some medication that was recommended for the child, and Medicaid wasn't covering that. So we look uh, at those type of subsidies as an interim subsidy, so we'll pay it for a certain amount of time. But basically, yes, most needs are covered by Medicaid, yeah, and that's where it gets yeah. difficult with families because they're expecting, if they've got that rate setting when the child's in foster care, they're expecting that additional rate, and, and they don't always necessarily get it. The the rate, oh, oh the rate. The, 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 the higher the, rate the foster, over the foster the care. Mm-hmm. Um, this Josh, is Josh. You were I just talking, wanna, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'll just clarify sort of what the point I was making. I've seen in some states where, Either policies written or or letters go out to families saying your child has been determined to be eligible for adoption subsidy. A lot of times, this gets to special needs, so we might be jumping ahead here. Um, special needs, most people think about children with disabilities as being special needs, mm-hmm. but in the context of adoption subsidy, it's also children who are hard to place. Mm-hmm. Um, and the two most common are age and sibling groups. Um, in some states, it also could be race or length of time with with the the family um, in the foster home. Um, but the most too common are age and and race um, or sibling groups. Um, and so I've seen in- instances where a child might be maybe the age is six, the child's eight but fairly healthy, and the state's saying, well, we can't document any specific special needs that's going to cost you out of pocket. So we're going to offer you zero dollars, and I don't yeah, think I that's what what Clark County is doing. I think they're looking also at um, you know because ordinary needs would include things like room and board, uh, you know, um, you know, especially if you have sibling groups. I've actually personally met three families who have adopted. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. It's not, and I get around, uh, but I've personally met three families that have adopted sibling groups of seven. Incorporating seven kids into your home is is expensive. So you're saying I'm I'm, I'm going to repeat what you're saying to make sure I'm understanding it. Um, a child who does not meet the special need, any the a disability special need, be it, be it physical or emotional, or yeah. age, or a sibling group. You're saying that even if a child doesn't fit any of those categories, that they no. would still be eligible. Four. No, no, no. Yeah, no. They, they have to meet one of those. But so I adopt this healthy eight-year-old that meets the age criteria, but my right. state isn't one of those great states that say we'll give you the maximum, which makes it an easier process. It may not be fiscally the best thing for the state, although it's cheaper to raise, you know, for kids to be adopted, you know, because there's not the case management fees for foster care. There's not the court costs. Um but my my state's one of those that take this tactic that we are only going to base the subsidy amount based on your out-of-pocket costs. They're saying the child's eligible because of age, but we're going to offer you zero because we can't point to any out-of-pocket costs. Okay. That's happening in some states. Gotcha. Okay. So then it's whether or not we talk about – well, that leads a little bit – to this question, and I'm, I'm summarizing a couple of questions we got because we hear sure. this often from families who are adopting a child from foster care who currently doesn't seem to have a special need, but they know, the parents know that there is a possibility or maybe even a likelihood 
that the child will have needs as he or she ages. And this would include, we've got questions on this one, a child who was born dependent on drugs but was too young yet to see any impact on learning. In the case of the question we got, the child was still preschool age. Um, and another uh, example was that a, a parents had uh, a four-year-old that had been sexually, they were adopting or a child that had been sexually abused. She was currently four. For now, she is only in very limited therapy. Um, and but the parents anticipate that she will need more as she ages. So, how is this anticipatory special need uh, handled with adoption assistance? Uh, because the parents' position is that they want to protect their child by making certain that there is money in the in the budget for these needs, even though they aren't currently out of pocket. Uh, Julie, I'm going to ask you that question, and, and then I'd probably like for all of us to, to, to speak on it as well. But let's start with you. Okay. Well, I can speak to how we do it here in Clark County. The adoptive parents would sign an agreement. It's called agreement only with our department. And at any time during the, the child's life, they can come back and discuss with us if they'd be interested in an adoption, not an interested if a need exists, for the child to receive financial assistance. So they are signing, um, it's, it's the same as the other contract, it's called an agreement only. And they may get Medicaid, but then no subsidy, um, different, different variations, but it ensures that the parents are protected and the child at a later date, if any, any medical or behavioral issues should arise. You know, but what I have heard, and, and I don't know, and Josh, I'd like for you, because you have a better feel nationally what i have heard from parents some parents uh is that when they go back there is sometimes a question whether or not the issues associated have anything to do with in the two cases two examples we have here uh, uh drug dependency at birth or sexual abuse um and that it is hard to negotiate for money at that point because there's no leverage they're not, you know, they, they, this child is a part of their family. They're, they're not having no intent of disrupting or, di or dissolving the adoption. So there's no, they have no leverage with which to ask for money. Josh, is this something that you have seen or is this unique to what I may have heard? Um, I, it, it all, it, it all gets down to how states do things. Um, and everybody does things differently. I, I will say, I think in the last probably 10, 15 years, that um, especially with federal reviews or sometimes called audits of state documentation, that things might be a little tighter in terms of the process than before. Um, just last week, this specific question came up. Um, I was trained out in Alabama and had state administrators there. And for them to enter into one of these agreements, they have to document a risk factor. So you know, and it, there was a lot of back and forth over what that is. Is a risk factor, um, you know, if the child tests positive, well, that's documentation, that's a risk factor. Or when the child comes into care, if they do enough information, background information on the birth family, get assessments done, find out family has mental illness that could be hereditary, get that into it, that can qualify for it. Um, one of the issues came up is what if it's not, what if the documentation isn't the problem? You know, like let's say we document that there's this toxic, you know, there, you know, there's drugs in the system at birth, but we can't. But we're worried about other things that we can't document. And what they said, because they're looking at going back to what was the justification. I think that's your question. What was the justification for the deferred agreement? And mm -hmm. um, the, the answer was in this group. Um, including the administrators, is that you can put in other undocumented risk factors. It's, it's better to put in the laundry list of concerns, um, even if they're doc not documented. Um, but I, I think for these, for states that are a little stricter, if you can somehow tie it back to a pre, you know, something prior to adoption, a lot of states will be as flexible as they can to, to, to turn it on. Um, once the problem presents, but it, it really depends on the state um, and how things are are written and how they do things administratively. But and I do is, agree, it's a, a great, great um, safety net. 
a great safety net to have. And, and uh, right. from your experience, are parents more uh, are, are parents usually able to negotiate a fair subsidy down the line that will cover therapy costs or or whatever else costs uh, that might be associated with it? Are you seeing that families are able to? Um, in most I, states, I have, negotiate a agreement. Yeah, I have not heard of there being significant problems. I mean, not that there aren't individual cases, but I have not heard of any sort of system-wide problems in any states with um, getting the subsidy after the fact. You know, the, the as you mentioned, the not having the leverage. I have not heard that be the case where it's okay, like, excellent. well, you've already adopted, so you know there, you know there isn't. You, you can't force us to give you the money. It, it seems to be more of a, just an administrative navigation more than um, a power dynamic issue. Uh, and, and it, yeah, I understand. You are listening yeah. to Creating a Family. Today we're talking about adoption benefits and subsidies available for parents adopting from foster care. Creating a Family primarily keep us, keeps in touch with our audience through our twice-weekly e-newsletters, we let you know about the latest developments in adoption and infertility, and we also tell you about the uh, that week's blog topic and show topic and, and uh, provide you an opportunity to submit your questions in advance. You can sign up for our weekly newsletters at creatingafamily.org on the top left-hand side of, of that page. Um, so one of the questions, uh, actually the second part of Carol's question that I, I was deferred to uh, um, till now, she said, I have also would like you and your guests to talk about if these negotiations are often a little confrontational. I hate that sort of thing, so maybe I should let my husband do it. Um, in your experience, uh, and this may not, you may not be the best person to ask Judith on this one, um, but uh, are these negotiations uh, ever confrontational, or is it usually? Uh, do you feel like everybody's at this point, for the most part, agreeing on the amount, or, or do we need? To, do parents need to come in um, uh, with, armed with uh, uh, as much support as they can get to try to get as high of a subsidy as they can for their child? Actually, I think it's a perfect question for me because I was hired by Clark County to research the negotiation process, and one of our premises was it's not so much a negotiation as a collaborative effort. So what we do in our new unit, which is just to negotiate subsidies, is called the Adoption Assistance Resource Team. We send out um, an introduction letter. As soon as we get the case, we send out worksheets which ask specific questions, and we really try to establish a framework of the family's needs before they come in so they're not blindsided. Education is also very important to our unit. So we offer adoption assistance subsidy classes three times a month. So we let them know what to expect when they come in. Um, there's always a fair hearing process, which is a federal you know, law that you can always uh, go and have a hearing officer look at the case if we can't come to agreement. But we just very rarely have that. In three years I've been here, I've never actually seen one. We implemented another unit or another step, rather, that is um, a resolution team, an in-house resolution team. So if the negotiator wasn't able to come to an agreement with the family, they have the other step of meeting with some of the department, different departments, eligibility department and, and various departments, and try to come to an agreement. So we haven't. I have never seen a confrontational one, to be honest. I've been here three years. Uh, Josh, I don't get the feeling that it's often particularly confrontational, uh, even in places that aren't, uh, even in counties that perhaps aren't as advanced, shall we say, as, as Clark County. Yeah. Um, oh, it, it definitely can be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I so wanted to be a Pollyanna on this. Oh, well, I know. Okay. It's, I mean, it's... First, you know, if the state offers you the maximum that the child qualifies for in foster care, it's not going to be – it's not likely to be confrontational. Well, God, um, if they offer you the because, maximum. Right, yeah, I know. I mean, it's – it counters – I mean, the one thing where that situation can be confrontational is um, – and this is in defense of the states here, even though I'm a very strong advocate, you know, I do realize there's a financial duty that they have to provide appropriate support. Sometimes children come into care at an elevated need because of the abuse or neglect they've been facing, 
And if they get into a stable home with an experienced foster family, or even not an experienced foster family, but a stable home environment, their condition may improve. And if they have a state that has like four levels, they may come in at level three. And when they go to adopt, they might be level two, which would be a lower rate. Sometimes families aren't okay with that, but if that's the appropriate current functioning level of the child, that really is the appropriate ceiling for negotiation or offering the maximum. That can make people very unhappy. Um, But when it comes to negotiation, two things I think happen. One is sometimes they're offered offered significantly less um, when the ability to offer 100% is available, and that can make the family feel very unhappy. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Um, And sometimes there are personality issues. Um, If, you know, I I do talk with people all the time. I probably talk with people who are having problems who are more likely to have confrontation. So I probably hear it more than most people um, just by the nature of why people would call me. Um, But um, it it, it can be confrontational. Um, The one other thing is I would say, uh, and I don't think this happens a lot, but it definitely happens in this country. If a family is negotiating and they're made to feel like all they're doing is fighting about money and what about yeah. their love for the child, because that does happen, um, doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen, is to focus. Their, they've already claimed that child in their heart usually, and they're advocating for their child, even though they're not legally theirs yet, and they need to keep that focus and not let it get under the try to not let it get under their skin and just focus on it and and be you know and and work within the system that the state or county provides them in the negotiation process I'm so glad you raised that because I uh, although we did not get a question on that I was going to bring it up because I do think that sometimes Parents don't want to be perceived as just in it for the money because you hear people throw that around at foster parents that they're adopting, I mean, they're fostering just for the money, which we all know that foster care payments do not cover the full amount and that, that very few, I'm sure there are some, but very few uh, foster yeah. families are in it for the money. And I, But I think that, that families are, uh, especially families that we hear from, at creating a family are very sensitive to that. Um, and so I'm really glad you, you phrased it that way, it, it, that you're advocating for your child. And just it's not yeah. you. It's it's You're hoping to use this money to help your child if your child needs it. And uh, as much as we don't want to think that money uh, you know, talks in this world, the reality it do- is it does. And if you yeah. need therapy or whatever for your kid, then you need, you know, your kid will be more likely yeah. to get the help it needs if he, he or she needs. Uh, let me ask a question from, this is from, she asked uh, me not to use her name. Um, our son adopted three years ago. will be going to a residential treatment facility next month. We anticipate that this will last until he leaves home at 18. How are subsidies handled in these situations? Um, she did not give the the age of her son. Uh, so uh, so it's kind of a but we can if if the age matters let's we can just make some assumptions of different ages um judith uh how how are how do residential treatment facilities um if a child that's going to be permanently in one how does that affect subsidies you know I'm not an expert on this, so actually it might be a better question for Josh, but I believe if they go to live in that residential treatment center, then they would not be living with the adoptive family anymore, and, and subsidy is not transferable. So, um, Josh, you may help me with this one. I'm not exactly sure. sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because quite often, all many times, the family is actually paying for the residential treatment facility. Go ahead, uh, Josh. Sure. So there are some states that will help with residential treatment, sometimes directly, Sometimes they'll work with a team to help the family, often getting Medicaid involved. And other times um, you might have, if there's a Department of Mental Health, they may help with some of the costs, and the school system may, although they, they really don't like doing that because, well, no one, none of these groups really have a ton of money. Um, sometimes families have to relinquish the children voluntarily place them back into foster care. 
The subsidy can continue as long as the parental rights aren't terminated. The child doesn't become an emancipated minor, enlists in the military, or uh, marries. So the, fam the family still has to be legally responsible and still financially supporting the child. Um, financially supporting, if they're paying for the placement, they're financially supporting. If the state covers the cost, they can pursue child support payments for them or from them, from the adoptive family. If they have a child support order, clearly they're still financially supporting the child and the subsidy can continue. Um, if the situation comes up, we do have information on our website. It's one of the questions on our profiles uh, for each state about residential treatment. Um, some states, uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin are two I know specifically, have limits on how much child support can be ordered against the family. Um, just for, I've been working with the family in Wisconsin just in the last couple of weeks, and um, the support order should not exceed the adoption subsidy in the state. Um, that's that's one of the, the, the things there. In Missouri, they have a really great program that will provide, um, won't, won't charge the family. I don't think they have to go into residential treatment. Um, however, um, one of the things that they do is they require the families to voluntarily give up the adoption subsidy to admit the child in the program. They can't force them to, other than saying, we're not going to accept the child in the program unless you voluntarily agree to. Mm -hmm. So it's complicated. And I'll, yeah. there's an article on this issue that came out maybe a year and a half ago, and I'll, I'll post it. Uh, I'll get it to you, Don, so you can post it on your different resources. Actually, yeah. In fact, if you will, I'll make sure I include it in the blog tomorrow uh, and so that people who are listening to this now can access it, creatingafamily.org slash blog, uh, and it will be uh, posted uh, to uh, the 25th uh, tomorrow. You are listening to Creating a Family. Creating a Family's mission is to provide unbiased and accurate education and support for those touched by adoption. We have extensive resources on adopting from foster care, including many, many one-hour audio downloadable podcasts. You can find them by going to our website, hovering over on the blue horizontal menu at the top, hovering over the word adoption, click on resource, and then go to foster care adoption. Uh, and you can access all of our resources there. Um, I... Uh, Josh, let me ask this. We got a question from Georgette. She is adopting a special need child from China, and she wonders if adoption subsidies or benefits are available in any way for international adoption. Josh, um, some states in the past have provided some. Um, I, I'm not sure how they did it, but they've allowed international adoptions to qualify for the reimbursement of non-recurring adoption expense, which. It varies from state to state, can be as high as 2,000 in many states to as low as 400 in California. Um, but with the passage of Fostering Connection in 2008, um, they're categorically denying, um, or by, by law, they're saying that children adopted internationally are not eligible for adoption subsidy um, based on age. Right now, it's children who are um will be 10 by September 30th of this year. Starting October 1st, there'll be kids will be 8 by September 30th of the previous year. I've never heard of a international child being able to get the ongoing subsidy um, or the Medicaid, um, just the non-recurring. Um, but I'll say there's one big exception to this. Um, unfortunately, um, we've probably all heard this, especially anybody listening to your show, um, sometimes adoptive placements don't work out. And mm -hmm. there have been instances where children have been adopted internationally, the adoption has dissolved, and those children um, are either adopted through a private agency or some you know, personal connection or web group, um, or they reenter the foster care system and are adopted through the foster care system. In that case, that child is now, um, should be a U.S. citizen, um, definitely a U.S. resident, and those limitations do not apply. They still have to meet all the eligibility criteria. So it, it is possible for a readoption of a child previously adopted international. Um, we have done a really great show on that. It was, I think, last yeah. year. Uh, we okay. had a, a great panel on talking about when adoption, dissolution, or disruption becomes inevitable, things to think about. 
And it is, uh, to put it mildly, very complex, and there's a lot to think through (laughs) across the board about how you handle it. I will include the link to that uh, show uh, tomorrow as well. Julie, how do adoption subsidies work when a family is adopting a child that's in foster care from another state? So let me give a specific example. Let's say a family in Utah is adopting a child from Clark County, Nevada. How would that – which county – I mean, the, the county that they live in or is it the county where the child is, who who provides the subsidy – um, and if the subsidy comes from the, the state of Nevada, but the child is living in Utah, does that form any complications? Well, actually, Clark County would pay the subsidy, and we would treat it as just as any other adoption subsidy negotiation. We like mail them the packet. We provide all the services. The only difference is the negotiation is done over the phone, and. Um, that's basically the difference, but it's the same uh, premise as negotiating the subsidies, though. Um, and then if, if the child was born here and then the foster parents moved to Utah or the relatives, usually it's, a lot of times it's relatives that will move out of state, then we will negotiate the subsidy here in Clark County, and we are responsible till they're 18 years old. The only time that that uh, comes up is in the state's, that provide college tuition. It is usually specified that it's college tuition at the at, a, at the college in the state where the child is, is whoever's paying the subsidy. So it kind of, that 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 particular benefit might not be available um, to a child who is living out of state. Um, uh, Julie, you raised an important point, and I did want to ask a question about that. Are adoption assist is adoption assistance available if you are adopting a relative's child who is in foster care? And, and then the kind of a, a side to that question is, what if you adopt them in order to keep them out of foster care? So they're not in foster care, but you don't want the child going into foster care, so you're adopting. Are is adoption assistance available in that situation? And Julie, since you were the one who brought it up, I'll, I'll direct this question towards you. Um. Yes, that is available if the child is a relative and the, thir- and the third degree of consanguinity. Okay. Uh, and, and can you uh, give us, uh, use a lay language for third degree of consanguinity? Um, all right. Judith's going to get that one here. Um, well, third degree of, oh, sorry. Cousins, aunts, uh, you know, cousins, uh, how far out can you go? Yes, I think it's grandparents, uh, cousins. Um, it's more immediate blood relatives. We actually have a chart, which I don't have in front of me. It's just immediate <laughs> oh, relatives. <not. laughs> Even though that we can say the word consanguinity is very good. <laughs> yeah, I'm really impressed that you got consanguinity out there, but I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> right. So it, it's basically it's like grandparents and cousins, like you said, uh, siblings, if a sibling was adopting their younger sibling. Does the child have to have already been in foster care? Let's say your cousin is screwing up royally and um, and is not parenting, uh, and the uh, state has stepped in, and it looks like that she's you know the child has not been removed, but it looks like they're moving in that direction. Um, but the, if if you were to adopt the child before the child enters state care, is adoption assistance still available, or does it make sense to let the state get involved in order to get the benefits for the child? Yes, we only see cases where the child has already been removed from the family and is in state care. So, But we do waive a lot of things that normally we would not if they were just foster children. So maybe a home study and various things like that would be waived. The um, relatives don't have to be licensed. So sometimes they don't receive foster care at all, and then they're adopting the child, so they really need the money because they may have had them in placement for over a year without any funding. Yeah. Okay, so but they do have to. Yeah, go ahead, Josh. Yeah, they they'd have yeah. to be a report on child abuse and neglect. That's where it originates from. Yeah. The the cases developed early on when we received the call from the hotline, and then we have uh, impressive efforts here in Clark County. I have to say on locating relatives. We have a diligent search uh, unit. We we do our best to locate relatives and the best possible caregiver, but. The the moment of entry is at that hotline call and the report of ch- child abuse and neglect. For I would say this, Josh, um, 
that sometimes the kids don't formally go into the system and generally they're not going to be eligible. However, if the child has a significant disability that can qualify that child for SSI, that has to be established prior to adoption and prior to adoption and before finalization uh, or yeah, and and after SSI has been established, a family could then contact the Social Security or contact the the department that deals with adoption in their state and apply for adoption subsidy that way. So for kids who don't formally enter the system that have a significant disability, there is a possibility of it happening um, that 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 route. And we did cover that. There was a webinar. I'll try and get you the link for that. Um, that we did about relative care options um, last last night that NACAC did. So I'll try and get okay. a link for that, too. Okay. okay, guys, the show notes Thank tomorrow, you. the blog, is going to be really good. It's going to be full of information. Um, go ahead. Who is, who is, is that you, you, Judith? No, no. Oh, sorry. I thought you were trying to say something. Okay. No, sorry. So the, the key here is that if, if what, he, what Josh was just saying is that as a general rule, the child first must be into uh, somehow be uh, have been notified in 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 state care or um, a call has been made on abuse and neglect. Um, Josh, how are adoption subsidies treated on federal and state income taxes? I don't know state income tax. I only do those on request if someone has something come up. But generally, states follow the federal government and. Um, and the great answer is for the federal government, for the IRS, it is not income. Um, there was an instance a few years ago um, where Indiana and then a year later Kansas issued 1099s um, to families reporting it as income, created great headache um, and, and, and concern. Um, but I have, if it ever comes up, Folks should just contact me. I will work with the state and get it resolved. And if they won't listen to me, um, I mean, if they don't think I have enough authority, I have contacts at the IRS that can uh, verify it to them also. But the, it's very clear that the IRS does not consider adoption subsidies as income. However, other programs may. Food stamps, school lunches count 100% of subsidies as income. Section 8 housing counts $480 per child per year as family income. FAFSA does not count adoption subsidy as income, so and that's very clear on the form. Um, when calculating if you qualify for the bankruptcy that lets you clear the slate, families do not, if it's Title IV-E, they do not include adoption subsidy on there. However, if it's not IV-E, they're supposed to. Um, so there's there is a lot of it's complicated. If people have questions about other programs, they can always contact me. And again, that website where you can I'm going to be giving this in just a minute at the end of the show as well, but that is nacac.org. We link to a lot of their resources specifically within digging within their site to specific resources off of our foster care page. It is a great great resource and and um uh, and that everyone who's listening to this show needs to go there and take advantage of it. Um, here is a question from Bethany. She said, <clears throat> Dawn, I've heard you say before that even though foster care adoption costs very little money, that shouldn't be the only reason you adopt from foster care. I'm struggling with this. Originally, we wanted to adopt an infant at birth. We haven't been picked, and we are really struggling to come up with the money, and certain situations are too much money for us even to throw our hat into the ring for we are thinking about adopting from foster care now. Cost is a huge reason. Are we making a mistake? Any thoughts? Um, I don't know exactly what Bethany is referring to, but I, I suspect that what she's referring to is that uh, at Creating a Family, we are huge believers in uh, adoptive parents being prepared and educated, uh, and we want uh, no one to choose any form of adoption because they think it is the fastest or the easiest or the cheapest that they need to think it's it's a lifetime commitment and they need to be educated uh, and supported for a lifetime. I think that's what she probably means, but she still raises, Bethany, um, a good, Bethany raises a good question. And I'd like to hear uh, 
our panel talk about it. Cost is a huge reason she is considering uh, foster care adoption. She wonders if that is a mistake. Uh, Josh, let's start with you, and then um, uh, Judy. Oh, I'd like start to with the other two. <laughs> this one. <laughs> oh, that is so not fair. But okay, if you want to throw them under the bus. Uh, Judith, you go for it, girl. <laughs> I get to be thrown under the bus. Okay, yeah, and you could take that up with you could take it up with Josh later. <laughs> I will be calling him. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. There are absolutely wonderful children that we see in our department that are adopted, and they uh, need a family so desperately. Many of them. So I only see positive aspects of adopting a child through the Department of Family Services or any state agency. Um, You do get the benefit where if they do have a special needs, you will potentially get some type of subsidy, which does help, and the attorney fees are a lot less. But, yeah, they're just wonderful kids out there that really need a home and stability, and they've been through a lot. So if you have that type of personality to adopt them, I think it's a wonderful thing. Julie, any additional thoughts? Or are you going to wiggle out of this one and just be quiet? Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm not going to wiggle. Um, I've been fortunate to work with the department for 10 years, and I, I've seen us grow in so many ways and put so many supports around our foster parents. And even with the program, I, I'm honored to take on here the adoption subsidy program here, which we received an adoption incentive grant from the feds. And I have to say, we provide uh, – excellent customer service to our families and a support system. Uh, and as far as expense and on, on behalf of a foster parent, I think the biggest expense would be to get your home licensed um, on that or in that arena. You know, they just have to have it in their heart that they, they want to be part of uh, doing making a difference in a child's life. Yeah, and Josh, I am going to let you off the hook here, but I would also well, like well, to... The, the one thing I'll, well, the one thing I'll say is, I mean... The family wants to expand their family, and it's okay to question motives and things. I'm not a social worker. That's My degree is actually in geology. That's why I was going to let the people who are probably a little closer to it. And I typically talk to people who are already fostering to adopt. Um, it's okay to question yourself. People do that all the time. And um, But the reality is, can they provide a, a good home um, good family, not just a home, but a family to this child. Um, that's the most important thing because, you know, there's over 400,000 kids in foster care in this country, and many of them will have a case plan of adoption. And, and that, what I would say to you, Bethany, is this. There are wonderful, wonderful kiddos who are uh, currently waiting for families. What we would suggest is Get educated, get informed, find out if you are the right family for this, for these children or for a specific child. You may be, you may not be, but there are wonderful kids and you may well be the family and it's okay for cost to be one of the considerations. If it's the only consideration that you're doing it, then I'd say, you know, step back and make sure that you have become educated, that you have a support system in place, that you know what the child's needs are and make sure both for the child and for you, that you, that you are the correct family for that child. But um, the first step in that is to become educated on what it means uh, to adopt from foster care and what some of the children may present, some of the issues that children may present. Uh, and there are children in foster care that might not present many at all. Um, and then there are others who kids who've come from, as we call it, the euphemism, children from hard places, children from trauma, abuse, and neglect. And you need to know, uh, make certain that you are prepared to help those kids the best way possible. Um, let's see. I think our last question, and I'm trying to uh, uh, see if we have time for that. Josh, I'm going to direct this one to you. Uh, if a if a if both sets of adoptive parents, not both sets, if both adoptive parents die. Is it possible for the adoption subsidy to follow the child? The person who asked this question is doing some estate planning and is trying yep. to make certain <clears throat> that anyone who it becomes guardian of, they have a, a sibling group, it looks a four, um, anyone who becomes guardians of their children would also receive the subsidy. Any thoughts on that? I realize I didn't leave you much yep. time on it. but Right. So I'll be quick and fast. Um the adoption subsidy is a contract between the parents and the state. When they have passed on, they are no longer a party to it. Subsidy ends. 
some states have programs to provide an ongoing support to the children. Um, the children should still be eligible for adoption subsidy in a new agreement. If the guardians choose to adopt the children, they would have to apply for it before they finalize that adoption. Um, that we do cover on our website, um, and we also are asking that question about is there sort of a bridge support program to cover it. I can think of three states, specifically New York, Minnesota, Nebraska, that have such a programs. The other thing is some there are over 30% of kids in foster care adopted by single people, and the feds came out with a ruling earlier this year that said if that child or children are adopted by a second parent later on, they're not added to the agreement and the original adoptive parent on the agreement passes, the feds will allow the state to enter into a new agreement with the second parent who has already adopted the children and allow that adoption subsidy to continue to the second parent, even though the first parent has passed who is a party to the original agreement. And that uh, makes such good sense. because ultimately, yeah. but, but one thing I did want to Make sure, sure, and I heard you correctly. Would the guardians have to actually formally adopt the children, um, which is not the usual thing when when someone uh, when a parent it, dies, it, the guardians raise the, them. Right. If the state does not have a sort of bridge program that allows that, and many and, and some states do, but not all of them, then the family would have to adopt. Um, but in you know New York, that would not be required. I don't think Maryland, okay. possibly not New Jersey too, um, in Minnesota okay. and Nebraska. So it depends on the state. But we we do ask that question on our subsidy profile. So you can get the information to our questioner can get the information on NACAC.org. <laughs> Creating yep. a family has the largest adoption communities on the social networks, and we would love to have you join us on Twitter. There are two ways to connect: one, Don Davenport, one, and the other, Creating a Family. On Facebook, three ways to connect. Dawn.Davenport1, the Creating a Family page on Facebook, and the Creating a Family Facebook support group. The latter two are easy to find just by typing in the words Creating a Family in the search box. You can like the group and like the page, rather, and join the group. Um, thank you so much, Josh Kroll, Julie Madronsky, and Judith Ninekirk for being our guest today on Creating a Family. If you want to participate uh, in a discussion of this topic, uh, of this show, check out my blog tomorrow at creatingafamily.org slash blog. To get more information on Josh Kroll or the Adoption Subsidy Resource Center, go to the uh, North American Council on Adoptable Children website, which is nacac.org. Josh, could you give out your telephone numbers again? Yep, it's 651-644-644. 3036 or 800-470-6665. I cannot recommend NACAC's resources enough. They are truly a a, a huge value uh, to the fostering and adopting community uh, from foster care. Um, also, to get more information on fostering or adopting children from Clark, Clark County, Nevada, uh, Julie, can you give us uh, a website or a way that people can find out about the wonderful children that are available there for fostering? Oh, adults? yes, absolutely. Here's the phone number. Uh, it's the uh, Clark County Foster Care Program, 702-455-0181. And feel free to reach us on our website, uh, Clark County Foster Care, it's all one word, at ClarkCountyNV.gov, and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you, and I'd also like to take a quick moment to thank one more gold sponsor, and it is through their generous support that we are able to bring you this show, as well as all the resources at Creating a Family, Nightlight Christian Adoptions. They have offices in California, Colorado, and South Carolina, and adoption programs throughout the world as well as the Domestic Infant Program and their Snowflakes Embryo Donation Embryo Adoption Program. The UN estimates that there are millions of orphans in the world, including 104,000 currently available for adoption in the U.S. foster care system. These kids, as well as the millions of older kids throughout the world, deserve a home. To get more information about U.S. children waiting for a family, you can go to the Adoption Resource page of creatingafamily.org, to our Waiting Children page, I should say, which is under Adoption Resources, 
where we include links to various photo listings of some of these children. Thank you so much for joining us today, and I will see you next week. Thank you, Dawn. Thank Thank you. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations.